Hello everyone, welcome back to It's a Wonderful Podcast. We're very excited. Should we even be excited, Janine? Because this is a rather sad movie that we have to talk about today. But no, of course we're very excited because it's a massive movie. It's a massively important movie. It's also a really very wonderful movie and we always like to uh, talk about wonderful movies, Janine. That is why this show is It's a Wonderful Podcast. The things we talk about most often are wonderful. That is their nature. That is the nature of this show. But I'm very excited because this is a movie that, to be honest, I had wanted to see for an awfully long time. And while I do think it is a very sad and often frustrating movie from a character perspective, from a story perspective, I also think it's very much not a bleak movie or a movie that you maybe come away from watching saying that was too much for me i never want to see it again i never feel like i have to see it again like some rather downbeat movies can make you feel i think this is a very watchable movie Yes, and I don't think it all plays into kind of this idealized, celluloid, perfectly happy ending either. I think it commits to the darkness and the reality of of the story, and yeah. it leaves you with hope by the end, but it also, you know, leaves you kind of questioning if this man can really accomplish what he needs to accomplish. But you still have that it, hope it there. But I like that it at least it, it it's not wholeheartedly showing you like this kind of quick and perfect turnaround and really no. pulling away from from the grim reality that we've seen leading up to the ending not at all and i would expect a certain level of kind of deeper more intelligent story writing from billy wilder and this is obviously who we're dealing with here billy wilder's yeah. the lost weekend from 1945 won the best picture academy award for 1945 also won ray Milland, uh his leading actor oscar as well as winning billy wilder best director and best screenplay as well i admittedly think it deserves such accolades it's another really big name movie and we're here on episode 278 of It's a Wonderful mm. Podcast, talking a story of a spiraling alcoholic. And that is what this movie is. It is a four-day downward spiral of Ray Land, a really struggling alcoholic who goes over the edge over this four-day weekend. And it does become very much a lost weekend um, where he is, you know, he originally has plans to go away with his brother, um, his brother who's been helping him, supporting him. Giving um, him a place to live, yeah, paying for an apartment for him, yeah. Trying to get him out of his incredibly upsetting situation, upsetting addictive situation um for a very very long time it's said in the movie i think six years his brother has been kind of supporting him and dealing with him and to the point where you kind of commend his brother as just being a really good-hearted person but you so deeply understand his frustrations that he does have Yes, you don't fault him when he hits a wall at a certain point. He's like, I'm done. Like, I, I can't go through this trusting him and helping him and, and you know, cleaning him up just to send him back out into the world just to have him, you know, go back in the gutter all over again. You know, paying for, you know, giving him an allowance and, you know, babysitting him and all of these things. Like, you don't fault the brother at all for when he kind of hits that wall of his brother's behavior and just the the never-ending kind of cycle of of addiction no and you know that's where i think we as viewers stand really on uh, on ray milan's character don burnham is his name in the movie it's where we stand on him 
as we follow him throughout this kind of bender that he's on this entire movie yeah we we want the best for him i think it, you know the movie and Raymond's performance kind of endears us enough to him that we don't just kind of want to forget about him we don't just want to cast him aside we don't just want to you know condemn him to a miserable life we want better for him his entire situation there's a romantic angle with jane wyman as well it's really played very strongly I yeah think, that we want to see succeed and as the movie goes on we 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 want that more and more and it just becomes more and more desperate the hope for that because it kind of just gets worse and worse or at least you know don burnham's mental state and addictive need for a drink becomes worse and worse and i think it's it's already and admittedly i'm not phenomenally watched on these kind of movies but i think it's probably the most effective addiction movie i think i've ever seen yeah and they're not movies that I often, you know, that I go and watch, but I can think of, you know, maybe two or three, four others that I can think of. Um, yeah. This one just seemed to have a real human touch. Yeah. Than something that doesn't feel exploitative, something that doesn't feel like yes the movie is about an alcoholic it's about alcohol addiction but it's about the person it's not about the addiction it's about the individual who it is affecting yeah Whereas i mean we even like get to other, the other addiction movies usually obviously drug addiction movies they're about like being addicted to drugs and you kind of only half care about the actual people that are there yeah like something like requiem for a dream or something you know exactly it's more focused on the actual concept of drug addiction. And this is more focused on Don Burnham. And yes, like we, alcoholism. yeah. And we actually get to delve into, you know, where it even started for him. Uh, because his girlfriend who has stood by him for three years, knowing this and, and really seeing it as a sickness, as opposed to, you know, something that he just kind of does because he wants to. Um, she sees it as, you know, it not being a choice for him that like if he was sick with some kind of disease, would we leave him if he had some kind of spell or attack? Um, so that's how she's tried to look at this for the past three years and wanting to help him. So she, you know, when she first learns about it, they kind of flash back to when she first found out because there were several efforts of him to, you know, to, to hide this from her. But when she learned, she kind of talks about, um, you know, maybe doctors can just find the root of it. And once we find the root of it, we can fix it. And he tells her he knows when it started. He had this kind yeah. of conflated self-importance, you know, given to him in school when he was a writer and people giving him all these accolades in college and telling him he was so good. Um, and he was getting published and, you know, people were comparing him to Hemingway. And instead of finishing college and really, you know, you know, honing his craft, he left and decided to move to New York and, and take his chances because, you know, he's just as good as Hemingway. And then he was writing and none of the things he was writing was getting published or being sold or anything like that. And just kind of th that sobering hit of not being this, you know, great person that you thought were, you were, that people told you you were for so long is what started the drinking to kind of numb yeah. that that kind of broken dreams aspect of of you know this whole idealized idea he had about being a writer and so this lack of success is what kind of started it for him so he knows the root of it and he knows yeah. like you know and and that's what ha puts him in a place of fear as well to even try to fight it and get back to writing and you know and and give it another shot so, um, you know, that that's where it stems from. So they delve into the person, like you said, in, you know, right away kind of telling us he's fully aware of the reasons and it's still something that's affecting him.
that self-awareness is such an important part of of his character but it's what it's what elevates this movie to being as impactful as it is i think because you can look at it from the context of really any kind of deteriorating mental health issue that any that any of us may have right um a lot is said about a certain generation that I may or may not be part of <laughs> getting told that you're all great, you're all going to amount to things and then ending up kind of not doing that. Yeah. And being okay, but, you know, not necessarily being utter failures, but yeah. not being um, what we perhaps were told. And this can go for anybody. But and it certainly goes like you said and you just explained for Don Burnham in this movie. You are told you are great, but which gives you this inflated ego, and then when that isn't fulfilled, it can kill you off mentally. Yeah, and it it, it does to Don Burnham, and I think a lot of you know a lot of people very strongly identify with that aspect. So. You know, you can look at this as a movie from 1945 that, yes, okay, feels like a movie from 1945. Um, although I think there's quite an interesting point that, um, given that this is from 1945, I don't believe it's set in 1945, which is why I've seen things and I've read a cert, you know certain things, people questioning why there's no mention of World War II at all. Uh in this movie mm-hmm. or no even background allusion to it i think it's because this movie is actually set in the late 30s okay it's not actually set in dead present day okay um that was an interesting thing i just kind of found yeah because even but... movies of this time or movies that took place around this time even if it's not like the main point of the story it's always yeah. something kind of happening in the background yeah, if, if it's got something to do with being set at that time, absolutely. Yeah. But given, obviously, it is set at that time, it was made all that time ago, the, you know, this is what we love about so many, if not all, of the great old movies we do talk about here on the show, is their human emotion is still so resonant to people now and to new generations now that can be feeling something very similar and perhaps it has caused a certain dependency on certain substances for individuals now this is just one person's you know involvement with a substance addiction with alcohol addiction that we're dealing with in this movie so i think there's a lot of identifiable qualities to ray milland in in the lost weekend even yeah. if even if you're not looking at it from being familiar with having an alcohol addiction you can just be looking at it from being familiar of uh, and being aware of your own potential mental health issues yeah which can be devastating because you can spiral and we see him spiral in this movie but him being fully aware of himself spiraling yeah. and he knows he is he just can't stop it and he just need he knows what it takes to get him out of it but he also knows that that what it takes to get him out of it i.e a drink is going to contribute to making it worse yes and like he has these glimmers of moments of of fighting it of wanting you see the desire to want to fight it to be better to be this man for this woman that he loves and and to get back into writing and he has these really determined moments and then as soon as he sits down he types a few words and then he's he 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 gets that itch again he gets that you know he needs it to to even remember kind of his focus and what he's doing you know he sat down to write this story for once finally and like he's writing about this addiction and and how it's affected him and you know as soon as he sits down to write it and as soon as he kind of freezes up for a minute he's tearing his apartment apart looking for a hidden bottle 
Yeah, that he can't remember where he put yeah. because he put it there in his last drunken stupor. Yeah. It is those moments, those sparks of, okay, I'm going to do something useful now. I'm going to actually better myself. I'm not going to think about it anymore. I'm going to start writing. It's those moments that I actually felt were the most emotionally impactful in the movie. Yeah. I kind of half recognize that attitude yeah and then you just but then you just end up kind of going back into you know the the, the negativity that you're dealing yeah. with and and but you and you can't and the ease stop. And, the and the ease, ease of doing it and, and yeah. you can't mm-hmm. stop it and it's it's devastating from an outside point of view it can be very frustrating to watch an yeah. individual go about like this and i think Raymond plays it's so so well so sensitively but so kind of you know in his in in drunken states you feel so much sympathy for him he annoys some characters but the vast majority of characters here you you could call them half enablers i mean the the bartender the main bartender in the movie nat who seems to be a a reasonable friend to don burnham doesn't exactly refuse to give him drinks yeah and there are moments where he hits will refuse yes he hits a breaking point as well he's like no i'm not going to serve you anymore i don't like you i don't know like i don't like what you're doing to this young woman who came in here you know eyes red looking for you um, I, I just don't like any of it. I don't want to be a part of it. And then, you know, Ray just keeps begging and begging, just one drink, just one drink. And he's like, okay, one, and then you're done, you know? So he very much, I think, feels for him and, and gets kind of sucked into a bit of that enabling thing because he's just watching this tragic, broken man in front of him. And, and you know, he feels sorry for him. Yeah. Uh, so it, yeah, it's very much kind of all the people in his life, and I love that Jane Wyman's character, his girlfriend, is very much. She knows what's in front of her. She knows what she's dealing with, and she's determined to not give up. And you see, even his brother, uh, kind of implore her, like, "You're wasting your life. Like, do you really yeah. give yourself a chance and just leave him? Like, just be done with it. Like, you're not going to get anywhere with any of this." And she, like, even the moment that she had found out when they first started dating and she, you know, finds him drunk and his brother's making excuses for him. And then ultimately, you know, he confesses that this is me. This is my issue. Da, 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 da. She, you know, talks about how she's a fighter and she's not going to give up on him and they're going to figure this out and she's not leaving his side. And you think at a certain point she might just give up because he's left her hanging so many times, has left her wondering if he's okay even. But no, she sticks by him and she's determined to, to, you know, work through this with him. And because she's, she, and her belief in him is what keeps us on his side, you know, because he is incredibly frustrating in this movie, the decisions we see him make because of this addiction. And she's the one that keeps us believing in him, sticking by him, hoping that he can fight through this, you know, really believing in those glimmers of, of wanting to change for him. It and is all of that. So having that character be so steadfast in her belief in this person, and 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 a lot of her belief is stemmed from knowing how talented he is as well, and knowing what he's capable of. And exactly. So you know, because of her, we are invested in in his talent and his and 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 this hope that he can get past this. Yeah, be, because there is a genuine skill there for writing. Yeah, you know, he is supposedly, you know, what stems—not what stems—that's the wrong phrasing. What sets the kind of spiraling of the movie itself into motion is supposedly writer's block, and he's yeah. just kind of a little bit frustrated with himself. Um, he hasn't, you know, he supposedly hasn't touched a drop in. Uh, 10 days or something like that he says something like that um but this kind of annoyance with himself leads him onto the lost weekend of the title yeah um and it, it stems from from writer's block but that genuine talent for writing is something that we kind of are 
reminded of at very key moments, I think, through the movie. Yeah. And like you said, Jane Wyman coming in, kind of reminding us through her own actions and her own stubbornness. And it, she's one of the most stubbornly determined women I think I've, I've seen for and ages. And she tells him that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's so, so stubborn, but wonderfully stubborn. Stubborn in the best way. Because stubbornness isn't always a bad trait. Yes, and her being a writer herself, she, you know, understands, I think, him better than anyone. And she even says that. She's like, I'm still here because I feel like I understand you more than anyone else does. Yeah, and, you know, she comes in with this attitude, speaking to other people about her feelings towards him, how she's going to stand by him, comes in the movie at very key moments as well right when we're kind of losing our tether a little bit with Dom yeah. and we're kind of getting like, oh my God, he's really just causing a problem for everybody. Oh no, wait. No, we, we need to we need to want to help this man. We need to want better for this man. It's such a good kind of ebb and flow of a story yeah. of yeah. frustration to hopefulness to sympathy. Yeah. But only somebody like Billy Wilder can weave so intricately. Yes. And yes, okay, Charles Brackett helps write this screenplay as well, but you see a lot of the ever-phenomenal balance of human characters, you know, a real... I mean, human characters as though they're going to be animal characters. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Deep emotional yeah. characters. Humanity, yeah, yeah. That billy wilder always crafts and look when billy wilder does dark movies he does dark movies better than anybody else oh yeah it's it's too easy sometimes to often think as nice sweet billy wilder make some like it hot and the apartment but you think of elements of the apartment are pretty dark yes but he taps into some realistic emotions and some real self-awareness of the characters and he makes them feel real he makes them feel relatable and they're not feeling these kind of superficial uh you know uh hollywood movie kind of feelings they're feeling real things that you have felt yourself and so you can yeah. get behind and understand and you know full well that my I'm going to come out and say my three favorite Billy Wilder movies are phenomenally dark movies at their core. And I think those three are Double Indemnity, Sunset Boulevard, and Ace in the Hole. Yes. They're yeah. stunningly miserable mm -hmm. movies. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, this, this really falls into, you know, that category. Um, I do think, you know, as general people may think uh, when they hear Billy Wilder, they immediately go for some like it hot. Um, and he's very good at, at romantic comedy. He is, but he he's kind of, he excels at nastiness and yeah. dark, dismal kind of people who are just kind of on, on downward spirals. And uh, but giving them a certain amount of of sympathy, giving them a certain amount of identifiability that just makes them so interesting to watch. Don Burnham and Ray Milan falls into that category for me here. And yes, okay, it is based on a book. Uh, rather interestingly, I found out that the way Billy Wilder came about this story was he was reading a book although he was reading this book he was reading yeah. the lost weekend um on a train i think this story said and it reminded him of working with raymond chandler as consultant and of, as writer on double indemnity oh. because raymond chandler was an alcoholic oh and you know that so he's supposedly billy wilder has read this and thought i've just kind of dealt with this um i need to make this movie basically to show raymond chandler to say this this is kind of you yeah Ray, you know so 
we want to help you. Yeah. Which I think is really such a genuine reason to want to make. To want to make something, yeah. To to as give therapy. somebody, yes, to give somebody that mirror to really hold it up to themselves and, and really see, you know, how what they're doing is affecting other people because being. Uh, in a state of addiction is very selfish. It's very self-involved and you're not, you know, at the mental capacity or place mentally to really be aware of how it's affecting the people around you. And so I think having this movie as a mirror to see that, to see the hurt that you're causing to the people who care about you, who put a lot on the line for you, who, you know, support you through this addiction and, you know, these repetitive negative behaviors um, without getting any kind of recognition or thanks or anything, I think is is definitely uh, a, a, an interesting form of therapy that I think, you know, yeah. really could give somebody some self-awareness who needed it. Which is why I say as well that you can really, <clears throat> you know, this movie, yes, it's about alcoholism, but you can put it on any sort of you know, mental health issue, really, because the, the principles are the same. Yeah. And so I think it's actually kind of a very, very helpful movie in a very strange way, because it is a, a dark and almost always really sad movie where you're watching Ray Milan just get, get more and more in his own head and, and spiral further and further down and kind of get worse and worse to the point where and it becomes really sad when you think he's going to essentially throw absolutely everything away yeah. horn off his typewriter which is the one little bit of solace he has left to actually fulfilling his life goals yeah he's going to pawn that off for a quick fix and a quick yeah. drink. It, when you sit and think about it for just a minute and the movie does draw a lot of attention to yes, this idea, definitely. Mm -hmm. it's so tragic. It's terrifyingly sad. Fortunately, at this point in the movie, kind of the fate of the world means that all the pawnbrokers are closed on this particular day yeah. and so he, he's unable to um which kind of forces him to waddle back to his own apartment and slumber down again um it's a small glimmer of hope and the movie is dotted with them and that is a really significant one for me that comes not too far before yeah. the very end of the movie. Um, it's just... It's... The more I'm thinking about it, the more I'm sitting with it, I think the more I really just appreciated what this movie was able to do, because it's not a complex movie in the slightest. You know, last no. week we were talking about this intricate ensemble melodrama from here to yeah. so many moving parts and so many different relationships to track and keep a hold of all in a wider context this has got none of that this is literally no, it's very focused one yeah. person mm -hmm. and what he is dealing with so i think it's because it's kind of it's more focused in that way, almost singularly focused, we're able to just really put ourselves into the movie. And I think the movie very easily allows you to do that. Yeah. Um, making it doubly more impactful. And I always enjoy it when I can finish watching a movie, acknowledge. That was good. I enjoyed that movie. But then when I'm still thinking about it a day, two days, three days yeah. after seeing it, and I'm still going, well, yeah, there's things going on in that that were just, that they're sticking with me. Yeah. In my brain. Yeah. That is the sign of a great movie. Yes. Of I any mean, kind. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a very focused story. 
and it doesn't go outside of you know what this man is dealing with and how it's affecting the people directly around him uh so you can really get into the tragedy of it and really get this firsthand look it feels very real to you know what you would think addiction looks like on on a, a day-to-day basis for people um like you said the ups and downs of, of emotions that we feel for him the ups and downs of the ca- characters feeling um you know these glimmers of hope that we get and then immediately they are kind of shot down and the addiction just kind of takes a hold i love how he describes it as like a voice and he describes yeah. his two versions of himself you know the the drunk version of him and the writer version of him and they're constantly in opposition the writer version will sit down and want to be focused and accomplish something and get back to this you know grand idea he had for himself and his talent and then the drunk version will just be whispering in his ear telling him no just you know come hang out with me i'm the easy way you know it's it's much more easier to be the drunk version than it is to to you know face trying to um live up to these um accolades that you were getting yeah as a writer so i love how focused it is i love that we can really just sit with this person and follow this person around on this kind of warped weekend that he goes on and all of these things that you think maybe this will be the thing that is a wake-up call maybe this situation will be the thing that's a wake-up call we see him uh stealing we see him you know be so drunk that he falls down some stairs and gets put into a you know kind of hangover hospital essentially where yes. it's full of alcoholics and it's like you know rehab and I think you know he, is... he sees how other people are you know affected by alcohol and like we have this nurse kind of almost trying to scare him straight and tell him, you know, oh, you'll be back here again. You know, this guy, this is like his 46th time. And, you know, this guy, when he, you know, at night, you know, having been without alcohol, he's, you know, you start seeing things. You better take this medicine because you'll end up like him. This guy, he sees bugs and beetles crawling all over him. And then in the middle of the night, sure enough, this guy is screaming at the top of his lungs, thinking bugs are crawling over him and people are you're restraining him and another person's yelling in the corner and another person's having a panic and he is just you know freaking out being surrounded by all this craziness and and knowing that he is just like these people in a lot of ways yeah um and it's... so you think maybe that's going to be the wake-up call for him so he just goes through all of these situations throughout this weekend where you think maybe this will be the aha moment for him that's going to just snap him out of this and when he's still kind of being you know in this chokehold with this addiction you just your heart breaks for him all over again yeah because even even after this whole situation in this this hospital area you know alcoholic hospital um that he is in you think this is going to be like his lowest point Right, yeah. Because he's now surrounded by all these people in very similar situations to him, yes, but he is just kind of a mess at this point. He has nowhere, he seems to have no one, he can't leave, you know, until he's well, really, or at least sober, fully sober, and, you know, relatively healthy enough yeah. to be discharged. He feels trapped. This isn't even his lowest point in the movie. No. It's, it's equaled his lowest point in the movie with what I've spoken about before, this trying to pawn his typewriter, which I think is his lowest point in the movie, because that is the point of I've given up, there's no return. I've yeah. truly given up now. And that but, was the source of his addiction in the first place. So this thing yeah. that he loves is tied to the pain that he's in right now. But this whole hospital sequence I find so fascinating. It's really the only time in the movie where either outside of his apartment or his apartment building and a bar, unless we're walking along the street. Yeah. It's really the only other time we're in a different location. Yeah. And this male nurse, you know, Frank Phelan is the actor is he's kind of giving this very i don't know is it is it a, is it a little bit 
sinister? Is it a little bit kind of? I don't know. It, it's it's an unusual he feels like, little to me, performance. To me, he was giving off like a modern, um, a modern like Ebenezer ghost, you know, like in something like a Street, little bit like who that, is very it? much, you know, being very, you know, uh, cynical with him and like kind of trying to reverse psychology him a little bit like oh you know Cynical you'll be back here right tomorrow word. i've seen so many people come through here say they're gonna get better and as soon as they walk out that door they go for the bottle i you look like that type to me like your blood was so full of alcohol that you know you're gonna be back here you're just like these guys you know um and really just kind of beating it into him how you know he's not going to beat this but it felt like it was coming from this vein of trying to maybe reverse it get him irritated enough and stubborn enough to like prove him wrong you know yeah like he, he had that kind of goading attitude you know yeah but and and to to a point where it actually obviously eventually wants to be a positive influence but cynical is such a great word because yeah. it's almost fake cynicism or at least put on yes cynicism. because i mean while it's not immediately doing anything because you know he ultimately escapes this place and the first thing he does is go and steal a bottle um yes. but then you know when we get to the end and he is really having this realization and this sobering look finally at um what this is doing to him and what this is doing to to Jane Wyman's character and and you know what a mess he's made of his life because he does get to this very very low point you know he mentions this guy as one of the people he's going to thank <laughs> when he, he ultimately does. writes this story about his alcoholism he does is I'm I'm thinking now more about this hospital sequence is there not elements of it that are presented in a little bit of a horror movie sense. And I don't mean a campy horror movie. I mean a genuine kind of person in a really terrifying situation horror movie sense. Namely, I'm thinking of the dude that ends up waking up in the night screaming because he's supposedly got bugs all over him, which of course he hasn't, which you've mentioned. Yeah. But this whole atmosphere of these kind of I mean, I don't want to say it, but I will. Zombified people walking yeah. around, you know, in, in these just kind of sterile states. Yeah, mumbling to themselves. And, mumbling to yeah. themselves. And Ray Milland kind of just being confused as to where he is, wide-eyed, not sure what the hell's yeah. going on, yeah. and kind of terrified. It's also, I think, visually presented darker than a lot of the rest of the movie yeah there's a lot of shadows there's noirish shadowy lighting throughout the movie admittedly i think yeah. it's very much so um there's elements of that emphasizing the dark tone of course but this particular sequence just went a little bit further for me where i started to think this might turn a little bit into some genuine very serious horror vibes yes yeah. okay it didn't quite go there but there was elements and then when he gets back home after this and starts having his own hallucination yeah. i mean i had visions of some sort of you know like when dumbo gets drunk in dumbo and oh starts yeah mm -hmm. having the pink elephants thing happen yeah yeah i had visions of some terrifying thing happening like that in this movie where you get some sort of bizarre half animated sequence of yeah. him in his own head we don't quite go that far with it and to be honest i think that would have made it feel a little bit too exploitative because let's also call it what it is this movie's doing no favors to the alcohol industry to to the point where I believe as elements or or companies within the alcohol industry wanted to sue Paramount. Really? Because of the depiction of it in this movie and the fact that this movie obviously ended up being a rather successful movie. Yeah you know best picture That's winner crazy. awards yeah. wise and all this kind of thing um which is is 
you you know you can see from that that if genuine real world liquor companies want to kind of or, you know have serious concerns over how that particular substance is being presented in this movie um it shows you how kind of terrifying it does present an addiction to that substance yeah. which it really does but this this hallucination he does have of, of his own when he's back in his apartment of this bat coming in um kind of flying around getting in his face a little bit and then going eating a mouse that's crawling, that's crawling out of crawling a out hole of the wall, in his wall. Yeah. and then you see the and blood leaving a trail down. of blood yeah yeah it's it's very unsettling and you just see him screaming 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 until the lady downstairs hears him and calls jane jane wyman uh, yeah it really is very very unsettling yeah um you've just mentioned the landlady janine who who ends up calling him <laughs> she's not a very sympathetic person not at, at all. all like jane wyman sleeping on the stairwell waiting for him and a, a guy i think leaving his apartment is like kind of says something to the landlady about some woman being up there and, and so she's like hey are you okay and you know Jane Wyman trying to maintain a bit of privacy tells her oh you know I'm just waiting for Don uh, he, I think he's visiting with some friends and she's just like oh I know very well he's not with friends I know that his brother pays for this apartment and he's a drunk and he's as these stupors and he's probably out on another bender and you know it just as well as I do and just all up in her business and she's like ma'am like mind your own business <laughs> like <laughs> kindly very, that's a very up. polite way of saying yes it. Yeah. kindly shut the hell up and mind your own business stop talking about him like he's dead like just stop <laughs> i would yeah. rather not talk about this with you so yeah so i like that she you know is still trying to maintain some point of privacy for dawn um it's not even and it doesn't feel like it's coming out of a place of embarrassment for her you know no uh it's more out not of at a, all. A, her just trying to protect him in another way and so. it, but it, it's clearly it's genuine love to a point where you begin to feel so sorry for her as well yeah because there is another woman in this movie oh, yes. who is gloria mm -hmm. who is oh, another regular at this bar nat's bar that clearly don is a very regular patron of yeah um who he has a little bit of a seemingly a flirtation. ongoing flirtation with yeah. he ends up actually at one point going up to her apartment yeah because we're, um, we're we're led to believe she's a bit of like a call girl or something and you know a little and so yes, she kind of so, hangs around the bar to meet you know her her patrons and such, yes you know? Yeah. Um, but he goes up to her apartment to kind of beg money, beg, or beg for money yeah. from her, essentially. And it's it's very sad, but we, we kind of see that he is, you know, Jane Wyman, ha Helen, her name is in the movie, is entirely focused on Don, on him. She, he yeah. is all she cares about the very strong affection she has for him is why we feel sympathetic towards her because while we acknowledge that it's reciprocated by don to a degree we do see with gloria that there's other not options for don he's not singularly focused in a necessarily romantic sense and perhaps this is due to the fact that he feels like he doesn't deserve somebody like helen yeah. and he does tell her at times you should just go forget about me i don't matter leave me alone you're better off without me he does yeah. say these things to her so it's he's trying to kind of almost tell himself that he doesn't care as much about helen as helen does about him we kind of know that it is reciprocated but the 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 fact that gloria is there at all in the movie for yeah. this kind of side bit of need side bit of flirtation side bit of dependence yeah shows us that you know maybe don's 
not wrong in what he's actually saying when he's Imploring saying, go away, forget about me. Yeah. Yeah. There is somebody else that I can depend on. You can't really depend on Gloria. She doesn't want to be involved yeah but she she's just very much attracted to him because she talks about like she had tried to make a date with him and even nat the bartender's like you're not going to meet her why would you like mess with this girl and tell her you know like she actually has genuine feelings for you so why you know you're not going to keep that date and he's like oh how do you know he's like i know you're not going to keep that date and i don't like that you're doing that to this other nice girl who was looking for you the other night and so when he goes to see Gloria, he kind of just manipulates her because he knows what he can get from he can get money from her. Um, so you know, she is mad with him and tries to stand up to him a little bit for not, you know, keeping their date. Um, and then when he kiss, he just sort of throws a kiss on her, and then she immediately is like, Oh, you know, I, I was so sad that you missed our date. You know, I spent half the night crying about it. And then, you know, he asked her for money. Like, he doesn't even acknowledge, yeah. like, what she said, that he had hurt her feelings in some way. He doesn't even acknowledge that. He you know, just kind of does what he needs to do to, to get his next kind of fix. I have a question. Yeah. Outside of, of this movie and outside of movies in general that you've seen Ray Meland in, of course we are, you know, we're in Ray Meland week. On, on its <laughs> we are. We, um... We we may or may not have covered a Raymond movie for Morgan hasn't seen this week. Well, yes. we did. We yes. did cover a Raymond movie. Um, it's quite fun when this sort of stuff happens. Yeah, I suppose, isn't it? And we just decide to do two things that involve the same person um, on completely different shows, completely different movies. Yeah, you couldn't get two more different Raymond movies if you wanted to. I think. Um. But from the outside, as a, as, a, as, a, as a person, not characters, don't think about characters, do you think Ray Milland is as handsome as people go on about Don Burnham being? I mean, there were moments where he was, I don't know, something about him is giving me like he Jimmy Stewart vibes a little bit in terms of how he Jimmy looks. Jimmy Stewart vibes. Mm. Yes, I think he kind of looks similar to Jimmy Stewart. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't be fawning as, as, as much as these people are fawning. I don't think he's an unattractive man because I think Jimmy Stewart is attractive and he looks kind of like him, but yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I'd be giving that guy $5 if he showed up drunk at my door. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just saying because they do make a point several times in the movie to, you know, other characters to basically state, oh, he's that nice looking man, but he does drink. Yes. You know, he's kind of yeah, like that. Yeah, they, so, they make, they, they just say that quite a bit. I mean, I think his brother's more attractive, but, you know, that's just me. You really think his brother's more attractive in this movie? Mm -hmm. His brother's name, I'd like to point out his brother's, his brother's played by Philip Terry, but his brother's name is Wick. What sort of a name's Wick? That's not a name. <laughs> it's Wick. a candle. <laughs> The only, the only phrase I ever use the word wick in is when I say pe people, usually people, sometimes just things, are getting on my wick, which is just getting on my nerves, you know. But I, yes. I sometimes say it's getting on my wick. Um, don't know why I say that. Don't know where that <laughs> came from. But I've said, I've said that for years. Where you think so, of Mr. Wick. <laughs> or I think of Mr. Wick, of course, John Wick. Yeah. Um, it, it can be a last name, but as a first name, I think it's silly. I'm surprised yeah. you think he he's more attractive, though. And it's not relevant to the movie. It's not, no, it's it's not important, not. No. this discussion we're having at the moment. Um, <laughs> I mean, he had a stupid little pair of glasses on. There's nothing wrong with glasses, of course. I wear glasses. I think the glasses are attractive. Sorry. They're tiny. Like Ben yes, Franklin and... glasses. <laughs> That's what they look like. Well, what's wrong with that? They suit him very nicely. Okay, okay, fair enough. You, but you, I mean, I, being, I guess that could be a running being... thing in the story of people, you know, talking about him being attractive. Because I don't think he's an unattractive man. But okay. to, to make it a point of conversation and like several people mention it, I don't know. And they do. I guess and that's just do. necessary to the story. 
it, well, it's necessary to to figuring out his mentality. I think because he's clearly also been told this by people. Yes, as on well top as of just being this amazing Hemingway level writer and this attractive thing, so it just puts all this extra stigma on him to like you know yes. live up to that. I guess. Well, as we get towards the end of this movie, Janine, we we've talked about how he hits his lowest point when he tries to go on Pawnee's typewriter, but ends up, you know, all the pawnbrokers are shut this particular day. Fate has allowed that to happen. The, the, the world, the universe, whatever it may be, still has hope for him. And he goes back, he gets into a, a you know, a slumber again in his apartment. And does this movie leave you with a slightly larger glimmer of hope than we've got so far in its little drips we've had. I think so, because in this final part of the movie, I think this is right after he's having these visions and the landlord calls um, Helen. Helen comes there, she gets in, and she is very much there to take care of him and sober him up and clean him up. And, and so she stays the night there and he kind of sneakily wakes up in the morning while she's sleeping, grabs her coat. She catches him seeing, you know, take her coat and she's calling for him and he's just ignoring her. So she goes down the road to see where he's been and he pawns her coat. And so she's now this is kind of it for her. She's like, I kind of came out here to help you. I'm, I'm with you a hundred percent. Let's, you know, make this goal to get over this and work through this and he's stealing her coat, which is kind of the like this whole symbolic thing of how they met. Um, yeah. Because their coats were switched at the coat check, and he kind of was having you know waiting to leave because he has alcohol in his coat. And yes, she and we had see his all coat. that in flash. Yes, so it, like the coat is this whole symbol of their meeting, and you know this is kind of the last straw for her. So she's like, okay, well, give me the ticket back so I can at least get my coat because this is ridiculous. You've shown you have no respect for me or anything. And, you know, fine, just drink. Drink all you want to drink. Um, and he just kind of ignores her and goes off. And so she goes into the pawn shop to see how much he got for her coat. And she said, oh, no, it was just a trade. And she's like, well, what did he trade? And she finds out it, it was a gun. So now she knows what he's planning, that he is just ready to end things. So that's kind of kicks her back into, no, I can't let this happen. So she goes back to the apartment. She, you know, tries to get the gun from him, tells him she's not leaving. She's going to stay with him. And she starts talking to him about his writing and, you know, what he can do and his talent and, um, you know, tells him his story could help other people. And so when I think she starts driving the point of, you know, tell your story just write it out, get it out of your, your system, get it out of your head and your body and your mind this way by just writing it, you know, just, just put it down. Like, doesn't matter what you say, just put this story down of, of what you've been dealing with, put it all out there. And I think kind of giving it to him in that perspective really motivates him. Yeah. And, and, and the whole thing happens is that Nat shows up with his typewriter. Yes. And so it's just kind of this chance of fate, like you said, that, you know, this was his whole kind of, it was like his, the thing that kind of started him on this, this path to his demise, but it's also the thing that ignited this positivity in his life. So it's like this typewriter is kind of this e devil angel element for it, him. It is. Yes. And so the fact that he, after all of what happens, he, he's able to get it back. And Nat like oiled it up for him and all of this stuff. You know, she kind of implores to him that this has to be a sign that you just need to write this out and expel all of this that you're dealing with out onto the page. And so kind of when she puts it in that perspective for him, he's able to finally start seeing it as that, as a way to, you know, as a therapy. So not only is he, working through this he's also getting back to writing so it kind of is a twofold thing if he just decides to write this out and she's kind of in the kitchen going to make him some breakfast and you know before this she was kind of 
also doing the kind of reverse psychology thing that the nurse was doing. Like, fine, I'll drink with you. Let's have a drink. Come on, I'll drink with you right now. Like that kind of attitude she was having, kind of egging him on in that way and pushing him in that way. Um, and so she's in the kitchen making breakfast. She's kind of seems like she's convinced him to just sit down and write. And he ha- holds up the cup to have a drink. And we see him kind of look at it and pause for a minute. And she kind of peeks around the corner and sees that he puts his burning cigarette into the drink and decides not to drink it. And so the fact that he does this act without being prompted because she was literally telling him, fine, just drink, like whatever you need to do, we'll, we work through it, you know? And he does this on his own. Cause we've never seen him even in the moments where he is trying to be better. We've never seen him pour out a drink. Because a lot of no. movies, I think, that depict alcoholism where we have somebody fighting against it, we see them pour out the alcohol, you know? And that's like their yeah. big triumphant moment. We, yeah. We've never seen him, even in the glimmers of of these hopeful moments of wanting to change, we've never seen him dump any alcohol out or want to get rid of any alcohol um, no, or anything even, like that. Even weirdly to the point where it, it almost feels obsessive at the scenes where he's at Nat's bar, he doesn't even want Nat to wipe up the rings of the drink leaves on the bar. bar. Yes. So this is a huge kind of symbol of hope for this character. It's not all defining or encompassing or making us fully aware that he's over this and he's, this is his triumphant moment, but it's definitely a huge glimmer of hope for the character when without somebody watching him, without somebody babysitting and we're telling him, or without somebody doing it for him, he looks at this drink when he's about to sit down and write out all his feelings and puts his cigarette butt in it and puts the drink down. Yeah. And cast you know, we, it aside. Yes. And we even hear this narration of him. She's like, talk about it. Talk about what you went through. And we kind of pan over the city and, and the bottle that he had hanging out of his window on a rope that he was hiding from his, his brother and her earlier in the movie. And he talks about packing that morning for that weekend to 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 get away from the alcohol, but all his mind on was that bottle. And you hear this great alliteration and him kind of narrating. And so you get a sense of how he's going to tell this story and it sounds great. So yeah. you already hear the, the beginnings of what the story is going to be for him. And so you get excited that he's really putting it down. And then, you know, you see him do this act on his own without anyone watching him, you know, that he thinks is watching him or knows that's watching yeah. him. And so I think that's enough to give us a hopeful turn for this character after we followed him through this tragic journey. So I like that they give us this realistic glimmer of of hope for this character at the end, but it's not this kind of perfect, you know, clear cut, uh, you know, definitely not ending. Definitely not. But I, I, I love so much that it's unspoken and he's an act rather than a speech. Yeah. Um, acts often mean more and can convey more, I think. Yeah. And Visual storytelling, more, yeah, yeah, ha- have more of an impact when they are put in, in movies in this way. Um, and like you said, I really think it's a, it's a, it's a perfect way to end this movie because no, it, it doesn't end it easily, like, yes, we're going to win, we're going to get over this and it's going to work it's just the first stage the first very minimal stage but the strongest we've seen from him at all by far the strongest indication of trying to better himself yeah and that's enough and that's enough for us to leave the movie thinking go on don you you can get over this yeah and that's how we should leave the movie we shouldn't leave the movie going oh it's all okay now and they go and live happily ever after yeah because that would feel it, it would feel less well you you spoke about the realness of it it, it would feel false yeah. if it was that compared to the rest of the movie um it, it's such a pitch perfect way to end this story and leaves you with i wouldn't even say with a smile on your face but with that kind of just little bit of good i like that 
Yeah. Just just that kind of mentality. That quiet sort of yes. Uh, I you know, hope and encouragement that, that you feel from watching it. Because like I said, it's a very easy movie to just put yourself into. It yeah. might be very frequently a sad movie, a frustrating movie, a miserable movie, but it's incredibly watchable. It's not bleak and depressing. It's not depressing. It's sad. It's not depressing. Yeah. And there's a big difference in movie tones. You can't... Depressing movies are those movies that you do only ever watch once and will never, ever never watch again, no matter how again. good it is. Yeah. Because it's just completely just so you know bleak. dissolved dissolved your insides to become just hopeless yeah. about the world and things like that this movie doesn't do that at all it, it leaves you with a tiny little sense of possible triumph yeah and that can keep people alive that can keep people going Definitely. Um, like I said, you can put it on any aspect of, of, of a mental health issue. You can yeah. put it on any sort of addiction um, or, or depression even or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you really can put the principles of this movie onto, onto those for yourself. Um, I just think it's a, it's a great, great movie. It's a strikingly different movie. To what we covered last week. Oh yeah. We often like <laughs> to go from uh we often like to go tonally rather different to different to different to different, don't we? we yeah. Uh, and stay stay on some sort of trend sometimes. Um, but it's nice to do that and it's nice to explore different facets of movies. And of course, most importantly, it's nice to discover for the first time, Janine. Because this was a first time watch for both of us. Such a revered and well-known movie as oh, The yes, Lost Weekend. Yes. The best picture for 1945 that this is. And I'm very thankful for that. And I think this has been a delightful discussion. Yes, Jeanine. definitely. Well... I think there we go. We're going to call the episode there. It has been episode 278 of the main show. It's a wonderful podcast. Talking Billy Wilder's The Lost Weekend from 1945 with Ray Meland, Jane Wyman, and Philip Terry. Great movie that it was. Of course, don't forget to check out if you like Ray Meland. We like Ray Meland here <laughs> on its wonderful podcast. Obviously. We do. It is Raymerland Week. We covered Frogs from 1972 <laughs> on Morgan Hasn't Seen this Wednesday to start our uh, our new Decades of Horror series that we uh, have done in the past and we're, we're doing a, a new four uh, movies, one from the 70s, 80s, 90s and 2000s in the horror yes. genre. Our 70s one was Frogs, the first eco-horror movie. Yeah. The first uh, climate-focused horror movie. Very oh, many topical. People consider it. Yeah. Many people <laughs> consider it that it's certainly a uh, a new style of yes. horror that you do start to get in the 70s. A creature feature. Very, very yeah. interesting. <laughs> very interesting. Um, but if you like Raymond Hand, we speak about Raymond Hand plenty in this week's episode of Morgan Hasn't Seen, which is, of course, the other show here on the It's a Wonderful Podcast feed every Wednesday, and we always have at least these two shows. Morgan Hasn't Seen every Wednesday, and this show, the main show, It's a Wonderful Podcast, celebrating old movies, discovering new old movies every single Friday. But you can go and check out all the other Raymerland movies we have covered on this show in the past. We have got... The Uninvited from 1944. We've got The Big Clock, one of my low-key favourite noirs. Yes, yeah, a Dial M for Murder. 48, Dial M for Murder. Um, I believe there is an episode on Dial M for Murder. Yes. Um, what, what what else is there? What, what, other Raymerland movies? There must be other Raymerland movies. There can't just be those three. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Why do I feel like I'm forgetting? I'm definitely forgetting something. <laughs> anyway, the big clock's the best one. Yeah. Go and check that out. No, they're all good. They're all good. And uh, it was nice to see him back, to be fair. I've enjoyed Raymaland week. Yeah. Um, I have, strangely enough. Strangely enough. But, yes, um, other things we have to talk about. The It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel. Subscribe, ding your notification bells over there for all the fun stuff. We have plenty of videos going up all the time on the It's a Wonderful Podcast YouTube channel. Um, Go and check them out. Of course, if you want to support us on Patreon or donate in any way, there is a link in the description of this episode to that. We would be most grateful for any support you could give us. Uh, If you are feeling particularly generous, we would love you forever. You can, of course, just find us on social media. On Twitter, we're still calling it that. And it's a wonderful one. You can find me on that particular app at the Purple Dome with a three instead of the E in the because, Janine. Three is the magic number. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at the Purple Dome. All your, I'm not going to be horrible. And why do I even do it? You know, everybody listening to this now knows exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Completely changed the tone of the entire episode (laughs) to being something of a joke. So I'm not going to say it, Janine. I'm going to say all your deep, meaningful, and important. (laughs) Thank you. You can find me at Janine Devine underscore on Twitter, Janine Devine on Instagram, TikTok, and now Threads. And if you want to get any merch for any of our shows, just check the link for the description or search It's a Wonderful Podcast on teespring.com. And if you want to purchase any of our art, my art in print form, you can find that at my big cartel shop, g9design.bigcartel.com. And for anybody that didn't get it, I was, of course, going to ask Janine where all her alcoholics were. <laughs> yes, yes. I now, felt it. I please felt it. <laughs> finish, finish us off, Janine, and count us down in just the most delightful way possible, as we need a shred <laughs> Three, two, one. Bye. Bye.